and welcome to the Credit Union Overtime Podcast, produced and presented by the Credit Union Webinar Network, powered by FinEd. Today, we will be listening in on a clip from Michael Christian's riveting Q&A session from his webinar, An In-Depth Look at Regulation Z's Amended Qualified Mortgage Rule. As principal of Michael Christian's Consulting LLC, Michael assists financial institutions and organizations across the country with ensuring their compliance programs conform to federal laws and regulations. He provides counsel relative to current rules, assists with the strategic implementation of upcoming regulatory changes, and offers customized education and training services. Michael has more than two decades of experience in the financial services industry with a primary focus on consumer compliance. He obtained his Juris Doctorate from Drake University Law School, and he is a member of the Iowa State Bar, where he is licensed to practice law. So with that, I will let our listeners check out this clip from an in-depth look at Regulation Z's amended QM rule. And so at this point, uh, Travis, let me go ahead, turn it back over to you uh, for our second uh, Q&A session. All right. Well, our first question is, does this mean there is no longer a small creditor exemption starting on October 1st, 22? Yeah, so the small creditor exception, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an excellent question uh, because remember, when we talked about small creditor exception, uh, we talked about that that gives us a pass uh, on the 43% uh, debt to income ratio. But since that component of the test really goes away, uh, in October of 2022, then uh, there and there's no there's no applicable carryover in the final rule that takes the small creditor exemption and applies it to like for example the new pricing test, right? So for all intensive purposes, uh, Katina, uh, yes, uh, that's exactly what this means is that that small creditor exemption, uh, which really, again, only gives you a pass to the maximum 43%, it's really ir irrelevant uh, for your purposes, uh, right? Because um, that 43% maximum debt to income ratio is no longer part of the test uh, after October 1st. And this one, what about small servicer exemptions? So there's not a small servicer exemption that is relative to qualified mortgage. I think you're probably thinking of the small creditor exception. The small servicer exemption, it, there is such a thing. Uh, but the small servicer exemption really uh, gets you a pass on some of the servicing requirements that are found under uh, the Real Estate Settlement uh, Procedures Act. So things like early intervention requirements, continuity of contact provisions. Um, the small servicer exemption does get you a pass on sending out a periodic statement uh, in connection with your residential mortgage loans under Reg Z. But yeah, small small servicer doesn't really do anything for you. Uh, for purposes of a qualified mortgage, it is the small creditor exemption, and I'm sure that's probably what you were thinking of. All right, next question. Is the, let's see, is the seasoned QM only available for loans that have an application date of March 1st, 2021 and later? Are we looking at 2024 before we have seasoned QMs? Um, yes, you, 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 uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, 
sorry, I'm just, I lost my uh, spot here. Um, yeah, I mean, essentially, that's really, uh, that, that's really what you're looking at, right, is because, um, and what you're doing, what, what, what you're bringing up is going back to, so the, the season qualified mortgage definition came out in December of 2020. Um, and it specifically states that the season qualified mortgage is available for loans uh, for which the institution receives an application on or after March of 2021, right? So yeah, I, I think what you're saying is is exactly right and potentially even longer than 2024 because of that carve out for if you've got somebody who um, spends some time in a temporary payment accommodation, uh, that's not going to count toward that 36-month seasoning period. So yeah, you're looking at having an application of, 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 of March 1st or after, and then it's got to be with, uh, it's got to stay in the institution's portfolio for the 36 month seasoning period, which begins on the date that the first regular periodic payment is due. So yeah, you're looking at at least uh, 2024, um, potentially even longer before we really even need to think about um, having something meet the definition of a seasoned uh, qualified mortgage. All right, our next question. Since the seasoned loans have the 36-month seasoning period, are they originally defined as a qualified mortgage then? Changes status if they qualify after the 36-month period, if they meet all the requirements? If so, what is the benefit to the institution to have the mortgage classified as a seasoned qualified mortgage or a regular qualified mortgage, justifying the additional monitoring that would be required for the 36 months after consummation? Uh, Kylie, that is a, uh, a a fantastic uh, question. I don't really see a significant benefit uh, to the to the seasoned uh, qualified mortgage. The I, I think where it would be beneficial is if your institution was uh, originating loans. Uh, in accordance with the eight ability to repay factors for applications received after uh, March 1st of 2021. Um, and you then, you know, the, the, the loan performed well for three years and then you wanted to take advantage of that additional protection that you get with qualified mortgage status from a uh, either a rebuttable presumption of compliance or a conclusive presumption of compliance. And so you would at that point have the ability to take advantage of that additional protection. Uh, you know, if the loan performed well for that 36 months, but yeah, to your point, and I think what you're saying is if your institution generally makes it a, a habit to originate most loans as qualified mortgages now, then really the long-term benefit of a season qualified mortgage once it's a qualified mortgage, it's a qualified mortgage, right? So really, I think it's a it's a very narrowly tailored um, additional category of qualified mortgages if you're still playing in the space where you're originating loans uh, in accordance with the eight ability to repay factors. All right, next question. Is the small creditor exception going away after October 1st, 2022? Yes. All right. Making sure I understand, we can make a loan to ATR standards, make a loan that will be a QM under the new four-part rule, or 
make a seasoned QM. And ATR standards are just documenting the eight criteria. Yeah, Kathy, I mean, you, you, you really have it. So um, you, we have the ability to repay standards, right? And so the making a loan in accordance with the eight ability to repay factors uh, for purposes of satisfying uh, the ability to repay rule, that's still an option. Nothing's really changed when it comes to that. Uh, you also have the ability to originate the loan as qualified mortgage. And again, you can, you can use that existing definition of a QM uh, until October of this year for your portfolio loans. Then we'll have to go to the revised definition of a QM after that. But yes, make the loan as a QM uh, uh to satisfy the ability to repay rule. When you say make a seasoned QM, I get what you're saying. Um, but but again, you know, I, I think the benefit, um, I don't know that you would think about the seasoned QM as far as making a loan for purposes of it being a seasoned QM. I would think you would more think about seasoned QM as, okay, we previously made a loan in accordance with the eight ability to repay factors it's been long enough. They've had a good enough payment history that now we're in a position uh, where we're going to try and get it to flip to season qualified mortgage status. So you're not really originating a loan as a season QM. It's kind of obtaining that status on its own. All right. Next question. If the loan does not meet the pricing test, is there a way to still originate the loan as is? Or does the regulation prohibit originating loans exceeding the pricing test? Well, if it exceeds the pricing test, obviously you're not going to be able to satisfy the qualified mortgage uh, portion. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't make the loan, right? Because what you could do is even though it's not going to be a qualified mortgage, you still can fall back to making the loan in accordance with the eight ability to repay factors. And remember, there's no pricing uh, component to that. So um, it's just you you would have to make the loan a different way and you may be you may have some fewer long-term protections available to you for making the loan that way. but uh, certainly it doesn't mean that you can't uh, make the loan. It just says that the loan's not going to be a qualified mortgage under the revised definition. All right. The next question, I thought the pricing test was not applicable to SCQM. Boy, Linda, I, everything that I have read, um, I do not see that that small creditor exception carries over to the pricing test. Um, I can go back and look at that again, but everything that I have seen that has come out, uh, you know, by way of the final rule in the small entity compliance guide, I don't believe that that small creditor exemption gets you a pass on the pricing test. All right, next question. What fees are included in the points and fees test? Third-party fees? Yeah, fantastic question. Uh, the definition of points and fees is essentially the equivalent of uh, conducting uh, rocket science. Um, it has just been uh, incredibly, incredibly challenging. Um, essentially, what you're looking at from a points and fees perspective is um, everything that would be considered part of the finance charge, and then there's some items that are excluded. I think the way that you're saying it, third-party fees, is really probably a pretty 
good. I mean, that's a thirty that's a thirty five thousand foot level definition, but it's a pretty good one, right? Um, if if there are, um, you know, uh, mostly it's going to be third party fees, um, uh, you know, fees uh, not retained by the creditor, etc. Um, the definition. Let me just look here real quick on my. Uh, I'm going to go over to my second computer here because if you want to see, I don't know how helpful this is going to be because again, it's it's very uh, challenging to read, um, but. The definition of points and fees for closed-end loans is, of course, not found in Section 1026.43, because why would it be? It's actually found in the high-cost mortgage section of Regulation Z, which is Section 1026.32, uh, and it's uh, subsection B is in boy and the number one. That is the definition of points and fees uh, for closed-end loans. All right. We'll wait a moment and see if there are any more questions. Yep, we got another one. All right. So, is there now an HMPL test, and is this pricing test to be a QM? So, um, so, so you're saying higher price mortgage loan? I think is what you're. So, there's now a higher price mortgage loan test. And this pricing test to be a qualified mortgage. Uh, I'm not sure uh, I'm understanding the question. I, the pricing test, the new pricing test that is being applied to a qualified mortgage is uh, very much like the higher price mortgage loan test, um, but it's different uh, if that helps. Um, so for a higher price mortgage loan, um, we're looking at the spread between the APR and the APOR, depending, uh, or the a APOR uh, based on the date that the interest rate is set. Okay. The spread for a higher price mortgage loan is either one and a half, two and a half, or three and a half percent above the APOR. Um, and um, that's going to depend on loan amount and lien position. We're, we're utilizing the same components of that test to do the QM test. But the thresholds are different, right? So we're, we're looking at the APR charged in connection with the transaction, comparing it to the value of the APR index on the date that the interest rate is set. Um, but the thresholds are different. And for a first lien loan, if I remember correctly, they're what, two and a quarter to six and a half, depending on loan amount. And for a subordinate lien loan, they can be anywhere from three and a half to six and a half. So, I mean, yes, you're applying both tests, uh, you know, because you need to determine, obviously, whether it is a qualified mortgage or not. And then whether it is higher priced, because if it is, you'd have some additional compliance requirements, but the tests are different. I don't know, Nicole, if that answered your question or not. If I need to clarify more, please uh, let me know. I'm happy to do so. All right. Next question. Will balloon mortgages still be allowed as long as it's a QM? <sighs> um. So let's see, let me think about this. So balloon loans, really, yeah, I mean, bal balloon loans are essentially allowable, yes. Um, but, um, well, actually, no, I'm sorry, let me think about this. Under the revised definition of a QM, remember one of the four parts of the revised definition uh, is that um, the, uh, 
the, the, the product requirements or the product test. And it says the loan contract must call for regular periodic payments uh, and a loan term not to exceed 30 years. So, you know what, actually, yeah, that's, that's right. So um, <laughs> I've got to think about this. Um, I don't think that the revised definition of a QM specifically calls out because you could you could say that a balloon loan that the loan contract calls for regular periodic payments because it's obviously uh, fully amortized. But the, the whereas the old definition of a QM specifically called out and said that it could not be a balloon loan, I don't believe that is the case under the revised definition. All right, next question. So will the safe harbor still be still going to be in place on all loans that have been before the 10 2022 changes? So safe harbor meaning the like the rebuttable presumption of compliance and the and the conclusive presumption of compliance for a QM if that is your question then yes I mean so essentially you, you, they, they can't retroactively eliminate a safe harbor that institutions previously relied upon uh, with a rule change. Uh, that, that they just simply can't do that. I mean, there's, there's, there's some, um, I guess what I'll call constitutional consequences to that, uh, without getting too far into the weeds. But yeah, so if, if the loan was a qualified mortgage. Uh, and and eligible for those um, presumptions of compliance uh, per the definition of a qualified mortgage that was in effect at the time that the loan was made, then yes, that safe harbor is going to continue uh, to attach uh, for the life of that transaction. All right, next question. If the loan is higher priced, does it make it a non-QM? Uh, not necessarily, because if you think about it, so a higher price mortgage loan, uh, you know, those thresholds are one and a half to three and a half percent, and the pricing thresholds are higher for a qualified mortgage. So you could uh, potentially have a loan that does trigger higher price, um, but it would still fall below the pricing thresholds for uh, the revised QM test. So, um, no, that is not uh, an automatic disqualifier uh, for a for the qualified mortgage test that the loan cannot be higher priced. All right, next question. Is there anything wrong with just continuing to follow Appendix Q? Not at all. Not at all. And I would guess that um, a large uh, percentage of your uh, lending or compliance brethren are going to do the exact same thing. Uh, you know, I kind of joked about it a little bit tongue in cheek earlier in the session, but it, it's true. Um, there was, there was this, there, there's been this constant pressure from the industry saying we hate appendix Q. It's too restrictive. There's, there's too many requirements. We know how to underwrite our own loans. And so then the industry got exactly what it wanted by way of this rule when the CFPB eliminated Appendix Q and said, that's fine, come up with your own underwriting standards. But then when that kind of um, safety net, so to speak, was taken away, now the industry is saying, well, we don't want to develop our own underwriting standards. So, I mean, if you continue to follow Appendix Q, um, that's fine. Um, I think it would be, you know, it, it, the... Uh, <laughs> 
it'd be very hard for an examiner to say that something is wrong with your underwriting standards if you're using the same underwriting standards that were promulgated by the CFPB, right? I, 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 don't, I don't think uh, that that would be uh, an issue from an examination perspective. So I think there are probably many that are going to do exactly what you're suggesting and uh, continue to follow Appendix Q. All right, next question. Would loans acquired in a merger acquisition fall into the seasoned QM category if they meet the three-year time requirement? Yes, um, because um, so the loan at the time that it was originated at the institution that is being uh, assumed uh, would not have been subject to a forward commitment at the time that it was originated. And so, yeah, if it was, if you assume a loan from a, uh, an institution uh, that uh, was acquired through a merger or acquisition, um, and uh, it was originated in accordance with the eight ability re to repay factors there, but it has satisfied uh, all of the other requirements, product requirements, performance requirements, seasoning uh, period requirements, uh, then yeah, there should be no reason that you can't, that that loan cannot uh, organically obtain season qualified mortgage status uh, once acquired by your institution. All right, and then we have a request. Could you repeat the balloon loan question and answer? So the, the question that was posed is, does a balloon loan under the revised definition of a qualified mortgage, is that an automatic uh, disqualifier? And the answer is, I do not believe so because, and, and the reason that I say that is because under the product test portion, of the revised definition of a QM. The two components of that test are that the loan contract calls for regular periodic payments and the loan term cannot exceed 30 years. And my interpretation of that, because there's not a specific mention of a balloon, uh, balloon payment being a disqualifier, is that a balloon loan does call for regular periodic payments just over a shorter period of time. Right. So like, let's, let's say a five year balloon, five year balloon, you're making regular periodic payments over that five years. It's just that you have a balloon payment in year five. So my interpretation of the product test portion of the revised definition is that a balloon loan is not automatically uh, disqualified under the revised definition. All right. Next question. We have done 61-month balloons and had an exception because we originate loans in a rural county. Does that go away? Will our HPML balloon loans not even meet ATR standards now? And that is just a management risk decision. Is that correct? So the um, there is a... Let me pull up and see what that's called. There is a... Uh, exemption for balloon loans. Bear with me one second. I'm just going to go to the correct section of Reg Z. Uh, but there is a, uh, oh, let's see, balloon payment qualified mortgages made by certain creditors operating in a rural area. Let me go here and see if there is any change to that that they're um, identifying. Nope, I don't see any. I don't see any change to that uh, exception. So I think that that is still out there. 
Um, so you should be fine there. Uh, let's see. Will our higher price mortgage loan balloons not even meet ATR standards now? Uh, and that is just a management risk decision, correct? I mean, so as far as will your higher price mortgage loan uh, balloon loans not meet ATR standards? I mean, again, as we've talked about, I, I think as long as I don't think the balloon, I don't think it being a balloon itself is an automatic disqualifier under the product portion of the revised definition. And therefore, um, I, you know, I don't think that as long as the other requirements uh, for um, uh, a qualified mortgage are met, I think you're fine. Now, to your last question, that is just a management risk decision. I, I think what you're asking is, we know that we have to uh, closed in loans secured by dwelling have to satisfy the ability to repay requirements. But again, remember, there are two different ways to do that. Okay, And so just because you may not be able to make a loan as a qualified mortgage, under the revised definition doesn't mean that you can't still satisfy the ability to repay standards because, uh, or the ability to repay requirements, because remember, you have that other option. You've got the ability to make the loan in accordance with the eight ability to repay factors, which we started uh, our discussion of at, uh, at the top of, of the hour. Uh, and so you still have that available to you. Now, yes, I would agree with you that it's a, a management risk decision, right? Because you're, you're not eligible for some of those additional protections that we talked about if you go the ability to repay route versus the qualified mortgage route. All right. There are no further questions at this time. So this will conclude the final Q&A session. You can access and purchase Michael's webinar, an in-depth look at Regulation Z's amended qualified mortgage rule, at our website using the link in our show notes. You can also visit us at cuwebtraining.com. Be sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook on the Credit Union Webinar Network pages. I would like to thank all of our state association partners, our topic experts, and you, the listeners. Thank you for all that you do to support your members. Mm -hmm.